Well, it's been a good morning and are excited about hearing from our guest speaker this morning. Our guest is a United States Army retired. He left the active duty Army in September 2011 after serving 38 years of military service on behalf of our country. His last duty position was as the 22nd Army Chief of Chaplains at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., serving over 2,900 chaplains who support the religious and pastoral needs of our 1.2 million soldiers and families. He has served at every level of the Army, from the platoon to the Department of the Army staff. As Command Chaplain of the 5th Corps, United States Army in Europe, he deployed to Iraq in 2003, where he served as the senior military chaplain in the combat theater. He is highly decorated, including the Distinguished Service Medal, the Legion of Merit, and Bronze Star. He currently serves as the Executive Director of Chaplaincy of the North American Mission Board, serving professional and pastoral support to 3,900 SBC chaplains. He's a native of Rome, Georgia. He and his wife, Sonny, have been married for over 39 years. They currently reside in North Carolina, near their two daughters and four grandchildren. It is my honor to introduce to you Chaplain Major General Doug Carver. Would you welcome him to the stage with me? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Southern Indiana. Glad to be here. Now, you're fr you were lived in the area for a while. I did. From uh, 1979 to 1982, I went to school over there in Louisville at Southern Seminary, and I frequented over here for various things, going up to Huber's Orchard or some other things here in this area. I'm so. sure there'll be some people going to Huber's this weekend yeah, over the yeah. 4th of July. Yeah. Well, welcome back. We're Thank glad you. to have you. It is our honor. Thank you so much. And I, I wanted to ask you, there were several things that we've connected with that about recently, and one of them in particular was... You know, we are still at war, unfortunately, and we are, the resources are all over the world. And um, I wanted to hear from you, from your perspective, what can we do to support um, and encourage, and, and really what is our role to play in all of this? I think the church's primary role would be to pray for our service members and their families. We, sometimes we forget the, the families, but they have a big, uh, big role in this, keeping the home fires burning while our troops are around the world. You know, less than 1% of our nation's population uh, wear the uniform. We've only had uh, 40, 43 million Americans who've ever worn the uniform in the last 242 years. We have 23 million veterans alive today, and the needs are great. Our, our veterans suffer uh, or recover from all wars, um, seeing and doing things that human beings probably should not see and do. Uh, so I would say to pray for our uh, troops as they come home. And I would say a wonderful church like Graceland, um, our troops are looking for a safe place where they can come and engage in, um, in a community. Um, I don't have to tell you that uh, suicide continues to be an issue uh, in our armed services as well as the nation. We lose a, a veteran, uh, one every 65 minutes. So that's about 23, 24 a day. And one of the reasons that we're seeing that our troops take their lives is because of isolation. You know, they may have 400 friends on social media, but who do they call at 2 o'clock in the morning? And I would hope that this church would be a, a place where if a veteran were in need or their families just to talk, that this would be that safe place that you have established. 
Sometimes our vets stay away from church because they say, well, all those people that go to church are all perfect, so I'm broken. Uh, they probably can't help me. And they need to know that we're all broken, save for the uh, blood of Jesus Christ which was putting us back together. Uh, and then I would say, uh, last of all, just continue to pray for peace as our national leaders, our commander-in-chief, our congressional leaders strive uh, to bring this long war to a close as well as all wars. And as I mentioned in the earlier service, there's probably no, no one that prays harder for peace in our time than someone who wears the uniform. Well, I think that it would just be wonderful for you to lead us in prayer that, that you pray for us that we would be a safe place as a church, as a community where soldiers could come and be loved on and accepted just as they are. Uh, as you said, they're imperfect, but then also to pray for those around the world. Would you lead us in that? Certainly. Thank you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again together in your name, the name that is above all names. And Lord, we thank you for the wonderful worship we've already experienced through the, the choir and the soloist and the, the orchestra. And now, Lord, we want to lay before you this need for our, our, the members of our armed services. Fathers, they're scattered throughout this world in over 100 different nations right now, many of them standing in harm's way in the Helmand province or in the Horn of Africa or in, uh, or in Iraq. Uh, Father, we just ask your blessings upon our troops. Father, would you grace them with your divine presence? Would you give them your peace that passes all understanding? Would you remind our troops that you're the God who can provide for all of their needs? Bring them back home safely. We ask your blessings upon the family members who wait anxiously for their loved one to return. Uh, Father, may you just continue to bless and meet all of their needs. And Father, we pray for our great land. We're going to be celebrating and waving flags uh, these next few days. Father, would you remind us that you are the giver of this precious liberty that we enjoy. May we never neglect to do our part as responsible citizens and Christians in the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, it is a joy to be with you here at Graceland Baptist Church and this fellowship has a, has a great reputation. I was a young seminary student over at Southern, and uh, our professor of evangelism at the time, Louis Drummond, he said, hey, uh, I know y'all are all busy, and I was working five jobs myself, trying to put food on the table. And he said, you needed to come over to Graceland Baptist Church because God is, there's a great move of God here, and some of you perhaps were here at that time. And, uh, I, I was not able to get over here, uh, but I do know that there's such a legacy of faith and a love for Jesus that's in Graceland. And I pray that God would give you immeasurably more than you could ask or think and that he would use Graceland Baptist Church as a beacon, a light to share the good news of Jesus Christ here in New Albany, uh, Floyd County, Indiana, Kentucky, to the ends of the earth. May God use you mightily. One of the things that we're doing at the North American Mission Board is reminding people that we need to get out of our pews and get on mission for the Lord. So what we do here is important this morning, but we're neglecting something even more weightier if we're not putting into action the faith that we've been encouraged by even this morning. So I challenge you to do that. I'm going to share one verse with you this morning. I mean, I promise you it's going to be one verse at least that I'm using for my text. I'll share some others, but I'm going to share one verse I won't say it's my life verse, but it is a verse that has become increasingly significant uh, in my life as a, as a Christian uh, and as a chaplain and as a pastor. And it's from the book of Joshua, 
great book. Many of you know it. You can probably quote it with me from Joshua 1, verse 9. Let me give you just a, a quick background on this. So we're in the Grafenvere training area down in southern Bavaria, January of 2002. It, it was one of the coldest winters I've ever experienced. We are having our dress rehearsal for our prior to deploying um, into Iraq from Kuwait uh, just weeks later. While we're in this crowded uh, training center, a war, a war room, we were told that, that our president had decided that we weren't going to send two, three hundred thousand troops into uh, to war if we had to go. It wasn't going to be like Desert Shield, Desert Storm. We were hoping it was going to be a hundred year war. I mean, a hundred hour war. Hopefully not a hundred year war. And uh, so as we sat there and listening to the, to the general give us uh, kind of the down and dirty, he said, uh, I'm not sure we have enough troops to, to face this enemy that's out there and some of the things, weapons of mass destruction that our troops may, may face, um, weapons coming out of the Euphrates River. I mean, the way he was describing it, I was thinking the book of Revelation, like, what are we getting into? And we're not taking enough troops. And he sort of shook his head and said, but we're going to do what our nation calls us to do. This is our assignment. This is our mission. And we're going to do it. And you could have heard a pin drop in this crowded room. And the commanding general yelled, uh, well, it sounded like he was yelling. He said, chaplain. That was me. There was one in there. What do you have to say? Well, they've been talking strategy and beans and bullets and everything else. And uh, they certainly had not been talking about Jesus or the scripture. But I stood up in front of those men and women who were about to lead their young troops into harm's way. There's really nothing like that responsibility on the shoulder of our commander in chief and the officers and non-commissioned officers over them to know that you're going to send a young 18 to 21, 18 to 24 year old soldier, sailor, airman, marine, guardian into combat and they may lose their lives. I could see the concern on their face, the soberness of what we were about to engage in another war in Southwest Asia. And I remember talking to them about it may seem that we're facing giants ahead of us, disaster perhaps looming, troops that will be killed or wounded. But I reminded those senior commanders, those generals, colonels, admirals from Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Do you not know? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'll share one other footnote. We left that place and one of my non-commissioned officers who heard what happened put together little dog tag emblems to pass out to our thousands of soldiers so that they could wear Joshua 1-9 as we crossed from Kuwait into enemy land. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to speak on this significant weekend as we reflect on our freedom as a nation. And we're so thankful for America. Lord, you know we need some work. We need, we need revival. We need a spiritual awakening. Thank you for your great patience and your perseverance with us. May we reflect not only on our patriotic 
freedom and celebration. But Father, this weekend I pray for every born-again believer, for every God-fearing man or woman to reflect on our relationship with you. Father, would you bring us back home that we might be responsible and godly men and women who serve you, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I was talking to Pastor Ray, and I'm so thankful that he, he never heard me preach before, so he took a risk. And uh, I'm thankful for you allowing me to come and to visit your congregation. There were two things that we've wanted to accomplish in this service today that you've been doing for a number of years. One is for us to honor God who deserves all the glory, the honor, the power, the majesty, the strength, and our attention and our focus. He is the author, the agent, the, the creator of our freedom that we enjoy. All of us know that something happened in the Garden of Eden. We fell and we lost our ability to be free, to walk with God in the cool of the day and in fellowship with Him. But God in His rich mercy saw our need to have freedom from the bondage of sin. And in the fullness of time, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born of a virgin, born under the law, and through the blood of Jesus Christ that was paid for to redeem us for our sins, God acquired for us and all believe in his, in his name freedom to enjoy God in mind, body, soul, spirit, and strength for eternity. God has loosed us. He has delivered us. He has redeemed us. He has broken us free so that we might serve Him. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore... Since you know something about freedom, being loosed from the bondage of sin, let us stand firm in our faith. Let's don't go backwards. Let's don't repeat the things that we've done previously, but let us stand firm in our faith. Let us continue to progress towards heaven, living holy and godly lives, blameless and pure in a world that continues to just become darker and darker in sin. May we be punching holes in the darkness because we are proclaiming our freedom in Christ. May we not yield to temptation, to sinful desires and appetites, and fall back into bondage to slavery. That's one word we all need to hear today. The second word, we do need to stop for a few moments and give God thanks for our armed services and all of those who've served. It's, it's been a costly price that our young men and women have paid, that they've paid in full with their blood, sweat, and tears as they've defended and honored and secured and maintained our freedom of worship, our freedom of assembly, our freedom of speech. May we never forget the cost that they have paid for us to be in here in this room today in our freedom. What's the cost? Since 1775, when we stood up our first Continental Army, and by the way, we stood up an army, and we stood up a chaplaincy before we had a nation. We've lost uh, 1 million, actually uh, 1.5 million killed in action in all of our wars. You may not remember this, but we had 605,000 killed in action in the Civil War. We have 88,000 men and women who are still missing in action or prisoners of war today. Their parts are only known to God. May we pray that God brings closure to those loved ones who have never come back home. And let's remember the hundreds of thousands of service members who probably couldn't take an hour to sit in a place like this because of 
some of the demons and some of the wounds that they have sustained during their time of wearing this uniform. May we remember the cost that they paid. I think about these young men and women who put their uniform on. Some are in here today. Who set aside their, their dreams, their personal ambitions to answer the nation's call to duty. Men and women who leave the comforts of home and safety to deploy to some foreign land. Men and women who sacrifice life and, and limb and health and their well-being to stand in harm's way protecting our freedoms. Young men and women who deploy into combat, quickly losing their innocence and maybe a bit of their humanity as they witness and try to manage chaos. As they don't know when they go outside a forward operating base, outside the wire, whether they'll be greeted by a smile or a suicide vest. May we never forget to remember those men and women who have given us the ability to sleep in peace at night, have our barbecues, go to the malls. I think of one veteran today, and we always need to remember all of our veterans, but our, our Vietnam veterans, 58,000, over 58,000 killed in action. Our Vietnam vets didn't come home to parties and celebrations and parades. They came home to harassment, mocking, had to put their uniform away because America was against that long war in Vietnam. So I say to our Vietnam brothers, vets, family members who are here today, Welcome home, and thank you for your service. One of those veterans was Colonel Robert Hudson, B-52 bomber, on the 26th of December, 1972. He was shot over northern Vietnam and uh, was placed in the Hanoi Hilton. All expenses paid, and it was really usually a verdict of death when they went to that uh, prisoner of war hotel. While he was there, he said one of the things that sustained him, besides his own personal faith, was he looked on the wall in that prison cell, and a former inmate, with their fingernail or maybe a small pebble, had scratched the following quote. Freedom has a costly taste to those who fight and almost die for it, that the protected We'll never know. You know, as I was traveling here yesterday from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is my home, the, the plane was filled with uh, a lot of young 20, 21-year-olds, all dressed in their uh, school colors for the uh, ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps. They were going to have a summer. In fact, the, the, the kid I sat next to told me his summer was over when he landed in Louisville because they were on their way to Fort uh, Knox, Kentucky for some weeks of uh, officer training. And I wanted to tell him all of the things that he was in store for, but I just, I just didn't. I, I did think about my own experience 45 years ago this summer, that I also was on my way to my summer camp, my ROTC summer camp experience at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I didn't realize that as I was going to that assignment that it was actually going to be part of a life assignment as a person in uniform that I would wear for 38 years. 
as we landed at Louisville, I was preparing to land, I, I started watching some of the cadets around me. And, and I, they, they've been doing the, you know, the joking and fun and games, but it all got really serious right before we landed. I saw the smiles leave. I saw a few folks begin tapping their foot in some nervous uh, body language things that made me realize that, that they knew that their life was going to change when that sergeant met them out at the Louisville airport. Can you imagine how Joshua must have felt when his life assignment changed at the death of Moses? Now, I don't know what your image of Joshua, whose name means the God who saves, what, 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 it, what, what he was thinking about. I mean, I think sort of a Rambo character that was with Moses through all of it, but he was human. I mean, he'd seen God do miraculous things in the life of Moses. But now Moses was dead. And all of the veterans who had fought in that war were dead other than Joshua and Caleb, who had remained faithful. And Israel was facing a flooded Jordan River that was going to require a river operation, of which they had never conducted one of those other than walking through the Red Sea, of course, that had dried up. Much less, Joshua was going to have to be responsible for managing over two million people who, who had not had a good track record of obeying God and responding to their leadership under Moses uh, for a long period of time, 40 years wandering in the desert. And there were walled cities in the promised land, and there were giants. But Joshua had a clear assignment from God. God said in chapter 1, verse 2, Moses is dead. Now then, you and all these people, you get ready to cross the Jordan. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you every place where you set foot. Your territory will extend. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, as it was with Moses. So I will be with you, for I will never leave you or forsake you. God is saying, I got this. Joshua, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to continue this mission with the Jewish nation. I've made a promise to Israel. I'm going to give them a land. I'm going to give them a future. I'm going to give them a nation. Maybe Joshua had a hard time hearing God say, hey, I got this. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Maybe that's why God said in verse 9, look, Joshua, be strong. Hold fast. I want you to cling to me like a, a tandem parachute jumper that's jumping with an experienced one out of a perfectly good airplane. Don't let go. Now, ladies and gentlemen, is that our response today? Is God has us on assignment for him? Are we holding on to him for everything we've got? God says, Joshua, be courageous. Be focused. Be determined. Set your face like flint on the mission that I have given to you. I have a clear assignment that I want you to do. And don't be afraid. Don't tremble with fear. Don't be intimidated. And don't be discouraged. Listen, especially those of you who are in ministry, are you ready to say, hey, I've done it this long, but I can't do it. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. I don't like that word retirement. I'm redirected. I spent 38 years in the military, but now I can't serve any longer. I've been redirected. We've all been redirected, and we will continue to serve the Lord till Jesus comes or calls us home. Amen? 
So we should never have a problem in this church or any church where we need to fill assignments so that the kingdom of God can advance here in this neighborhood. I'll tell you, assignments are hard. I want you to think about your hardest assignment. I could tell you that one of the hardest assignments I'd ever had was on August the 30th, 2010, when I had to call a widow of one of our chaplains who was killed in action in uh, eastern Afghanistan outside of Kandahar. This chaplain, Dale Getz, was our first chaplain killed in action since Vietnam. I mean, we know that everyone gets shot at and wounded and dies. You just don't think often about chaplains getting killed, and it was really devastating for the unit. What do you say to the widow of a chaplain who's on his second deployment with three young boys that will never see their daddy again? A chaplain whose strategic goal for one year in Afghanistan was to lead 300 soldiers to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in a year and to lead 100 service members into some type of ministry and discipleship when they returned home. What a man. As I talked to Christy and shared my condolences with her, she said, you know, the strangest thing happened to me when I got the news. She said, after I was told, I fell to my knees, and the first thing that came out of my mouth was not, why me? What am I going to do now? But she said, what came out of my mouth? You know, out of, the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Out of her mouth came the words, the Lord gives, the, Lord's takes, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was a new assignment for Christy Getz. As she was prepared now to live her life as a widow without her husband. Travis Mills was a 25-year-old soldier on April the 12th, 2012, on his third deployment uh, in Afghanistan. He actually volunteered for the third deployment as a young, mature 25-year-old because he said, my boys need me to go with them this time. So they're doing a, a, an operation in a small village, searching and seizing weapons and bad folks. He had no more gotten into the village. He took his backpack off and laid it down, unfortunately, on an improvised explosive device, which went off. And immediately, as he was bleeding out, he eventually lost both arms and both legs. We actually have five troops in this current war who are quadruple amputees. The, 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 the miracle of medicine has actually saved their life. They would have died in Vietnam. But if we can get our troops to the proper medical care within that golden hour, we can save their lives. So here's Travis laying in an intensive care unit at Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, D.C. He wakes up from all of the pain. They'd given him as much medicine that his body could take. They'd used electrical stimulation to try to ease his pain in limbs that were no longer attached to his body. And... It, Waking up from all of the morphine drip and other things that were going on, someone had left a little plaque on his nightstand. He said in his book, Tough As They Come, I knew it was the chaplain, and if I could get up, I would strangle that chaplain. The last thing he wanted at that moment was a scripture. That scripture was from Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Do you not know? Do not be terrified. 
Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. You know, there are several places in the Bible where individuals have received an assignment from the Lord, and they certainly didn't sign up for it. Is that your case as well? We don't sign up for it. God is sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows exactly. He, ha- he has a tailor-made, perfect plan for your life. And so often, we refuse to accept it. We can't believe that it's happened to us. God, where were you? And yet in the book of Hebrews, we hear about individuals who, through faith, were assigned to conquer kingdoms and to administer justice and to shut the mouths of lions and to quench flames and to escape the sword and who became powerful Rambos in battle and commanded armies and women who received their loved ones from the dead raised to life. God had an assignment for others as well. Some were tortured. That was their assignment from God. They were refused to be released. They faced jeers and flogging and they were chained and put in prison and they were stoned and they were sawn in two and put to death for their faith. I don't understand the mysteries of God. But there's another one who also had an assignment from Almighty God. It was clear. Even before he was born, God would send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth as his plan for our redemption and our freedom and our salvation. He would live a perfect life. He would know his destiny. The scripture said he set his face like flint on the mission to be accomplished. He showed his disciples, really, how much he was willing to go for them to the distance, knowing that he would suffer and be betrayed and that he'd be crucified on a cross for our sins to atone for our iniquities and our unrighteousness. The scripture says that for the joy set before him and this assignment that God had given to him, he endured hell on our behalf scorning its shame so that he might complete his assignment and redeem those who would call upon his name and seek forgiveness and find it in him and offer us an opportunity to know the Lord forever Jesus endured three days in the grave and was raised on the third day so that you and I might have the power through Christ To take on any assignment that might come to our life before this day sets. So what assignment has God given to you? I hope you tell your pastor. Maybe you're wrestling over it like Joshua did. Maybe you say there's no way that I can live through this life assignment that has fallen on my plate. Rest assured that God's presence is with you, whatever's going on in your life. Wherever he calls us, he's there. God told Joshua, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not leave you orphanless as an orphan. I will not let you walk by yourself. I will carry you. I will hold you. I will comfort you. I will strengthen you. Perhaps Joshua remembered all of those moments when he saw God carrying and showing up and ministering to Moses. 
back in, on the back side of the desert as God showed up to Moses in a burning bush. As Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. As Moses carried hard words to the Pharaoh for the ten plagues that were coming. As Moses stood at the Red Sea. Can you imagine? You got the Red Sea in front of you. You got mountains on either side of you. And you have the entire Egyptian army behind you. And even at that moment, the Lord told Moses, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. One of the stories that you're not going to hear about from the war in Iraq, is we begin sending our combat engineers and our special forces, our SEALs and others, to prepare for our main bodies to go north, I was asked to lead in a prayer for, on the command net of all things to pray for our troops that were about to go into harm's way. I don't remember what I prayed, but I do remember one thing that we prayed. We prayed Psalm 23. It was amazing listening to these individuals. You don't know if they go to church or not, but they all, it sounded like they recited and knew, especially that passage, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. The good news of God's Word is that there's no place that we can go without God's loving, tender, compassionate presence with us. Psalm 139 says that God hems us in. He holds us in the palm of His hand. If we make our bed in a hellacious place, the Lord's there. He's going to woo us out of that place. And even if we're soaring with the angels, God is there. There is no place in all of creation that we can escape the glorious presence of God in our life. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can trouble if you have an assignment that's nothing but trouble, can it separate you from God working in your life? Can hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? We're more than conquered through all of these things, the Scripture says. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present things nor future things nor powers nor life nor death, nothing in all of creation can separate us from God's presence and His love for us through Christ Jesus. Amen? Praise the Lord. So, I want you to think about that assignment that God has laid on your heart. Perhaps you're wrestling with it like Joshua. It might be a professional challenge that you're facing. It might be a relational challenge. It might be something here in the church that you've been asked to consider and you haven't stepped out in faith. Know this. Walk out of here today. Settle it. God is firmly in the middle of your circumstance. I don't care if it's family counseling or if it's a faith-moving experience in this holy place. God is here with His people. He will never leave you or forsake you. So, anchor yourself in God's Word. Joshua had a clear assignment. He had the firm assurance that the Lord was going to be with him. And look what God says to him in verse 8. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Don't let Satan steal it. Don't lose your holy vocabulary. Don't become spiritually anemic because you're not opening and applying this book in your life. Study God's Word. Don't give it away to some other time waster. Meditate on God's Word day and night. 
People may think you're talking to yourself as you're quoting those scriptures. Fine. May they overhear God's word and may it redeem or deliver them. And obey what you hear. Obey it. God hedges us in with his word. Sometimes we need a pen, do we not? I don't mean a fountain pen either. We need God to give us left and right limits for our lives because he is waiting for a clean and spotless and blameless, beautiful bride, his church when he returns. Does he not deserve that? Don't shout me down. God's word, our foundation, our compass, our GPS. Psalm 119, I don't have time, but you could just read the whole chapter every day. Our counselor, our, med our, me our, our medicine for our weary soul. Our walk in freedom as we read it. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but God's word will never pass away. It's interesting about God's word. I'll share this story and I'm almost done. Jeff Orge is the president of Gateway Seminary, one of our seminaries that's just recently moved down to uh, Ontario, uh, California. Several years ago, Jeff was diagnosed with throat cancer. Did you know that, brother? And so he went in for the surgery, and this was pretty bad because it was spreading rapidly in his life. He... He received the surgery, and actually, he had a reaction to the surgery, and he was literally paralyzed. He was told that he might never preach again or speak again. He might die. He's laying there in this paralyzed position, and the doctors assured his wife that it would wear off, and hopefully in the morning, he would be healed. He says as he laid there, and here he had been a Christian all of his life, he was trying, here he is a seminary president, and he couldn't think of one verse in this book except for Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. He says, I laid there in and out of sleep. And his simple prayer, and that was the only verse that he could think that entire evening. Lord Jesus, get me through to the morning. Get me through to the morning. He'd wake up after he prayed that prayer and three minutes had gone by. He had hours to go before morning, but every time he would awaken from his pain and the medicine wearing off. Lord, just get me through. To the morning, you promised, Lord, that weeping takes us through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Jeff Ward says in his book, Seasons of a Leader's Life, he learned something that night, an assignment that he had had to spend time with the Lord, recovering from his surgery. He learned Jesus is enough. It wasn't about all of his degrees that were on the wall and all of the friends that he had and all of the possessions that he owned. It took an assignment almost with death for him to realize Jesus is enough. Have you come to that realization today in your life? I have a feeling the way God works with life, seasons, 
that he brings us to that point to show us that he is enough. He's, he's all that we need. I have several thousand volumes of books. And when I went down range, you, you, they won't let you take that many books, okay? I'm just going to tell you. And we didn't have a really good Logos, you know, system going at that time. So uh, all I needed was my Bible and that was enough. There was a day that happened to me, it was a very dark day where we were being shot at by uh, missiles were being fired. I'd never, I'd never had a missile fired at me before, so it was also a new experience. The ballistic missile. We had about 12 going around Kuwait a particular day, which required me to run to my bunker, concrete bunker. And I don't know where my Bible was, but I didn't have time to grab it because we were running, we were walking briskly to our bunker. As I sat in that bunker, surrounded by young men and women who were looking at the chaplain for some kind of comfort, we had our gas mask on. I was praying that it would fog up so they couldn't see anything in my eyes, like maybe fear. But God's word came to me as I sat in that bunker, waiting for about two minutes for the missile to be knocked out of the sky or to hit us. And it became one of my life verses, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He's powerful to save you. He takes great delight in you. He quiets you with his love. Even in this bunker, he rejoices over you with singing. That's the God that we serve. That's the joy of being a Christian, knowing the Lord is with us, whether we're in our bed at home or in a bunker in a combat zone. God's no respecter of persons or places. My concern for us is that sometimes we find ourselves with, with a hard assignment that we don't know if God is big enough or compassionate enough to get us out of it. Listen, God is present with you, saints. No matter how dark the moment is or how difficult or how painful or how trying the circumstances are or how hard it is, no matter the level of heartache that you're going through, the loneliness that you're experiencing, the terrible diagnosis the doctor has given to you, the people have, who have unfriended you or persecuted or mocked you, no matter if you've caused the mess and you're trying to get things back right, the Lord, your God, is with you in this current situation. Cry out to Him in your time of need because the Lord always comes near to the brokenhearted and the fearful and the discouraged and the terrified. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go and whatever is going on in your life.